Welcome to the Upside Podcast, powered by Upside Global and hosted by Julian Blinn, founder and CEO of Upside Global. The Upside Podcast is listened to weekly by over 6,000 sports and tech executives from all sports leagues and teams in the United States and around the world. Julian has been developing technologies for professional sports teams for over 10 years and has worked for major tech companies along with sports tech startups. In each episode, Julian interviews global leaders in sports to share knowledge on emerging technology in the sports industry and how these technologies can help improve the performance of individuals and organizations both on and off the playing field. And now here's your host, Julian Blinn. So today we have the honor to interview Abdul Sila, a world-class high-performance coach. So Abdul, welcome to the show. Thank you, Julian. You're welcome. Thank you, Abdul. So hey, what I want to talk to you about today is First, we'll talk about your background and how you ended up working with top athletes like Serena Williams, Lemmy Osaka, Sloan Stevens, and so on. And then we'll talk about your philosophy, right, when it comes to strength and conditioning. Yes, uh, we'll also talk about the importance of the mental preparation for an athlete. Yes. And then we'll discuss the importance of technologies in your line of work. And then uh, we'll talk about the best athletes, right, that you work with and the yes. types of technology that you would build if you had unlimited resources. How does it sound? It sounds great. Those are all great questions. Great. So, hey, Abdul, so first question is, can you tell me about your background and, and how you ended up working with top athletes like Serena Williams, Naomi Osaka, or, or Sloan Stevens? Yes. Um, well, I come from a football, American football and um, track background. And um, I sustained serious injury, which caused uh, paralysis. And then right. um, my wife actually... Um, give me an um, ultimatum, football or family. Yeah. So I decided to choose the family, right? And yeah. this was just at the beginning of my me trying to get into the NFL. So when was that? When was that? This was two thousand and um, two thousand and one. Oh, okay. And um, so for me, that's actually that's the best thing that could ever happen to me. Because mm -hmm. it took me, it, it gave me a purpose in this life that probably playing football would have never given me. Interesting. So I guess my question to you, because I know you met Serena Williams, for example, in the very early days. Yes. Uh, you know when her dad started, and I watched the whole movie, and I was fascinated by this. Um, but how did you end up working with Serena Williams, for example? So at the genesis of my career, which was I had just you know, hung, um, hung it up for football. Yeah. This was 2000 and, and now three years later, 2004, I was yeah. out there working with one of my other athletes, which was a professional boxer. Mm -hmm. And this was about 6 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. And uh, as we're working out, a gentleman came by and, and shook my hand and introduced himself. Yeah. And he said, if it's, would it be possible to just watch you all train i say yeah mm -hmm. and um so he watched for about 15 minutes and then he told me you're the best trainer i've ever seen in my life i said oh thank you sir he said no i mean it you're the best trainer i've ever seen in my life i said wow. okay so he said well i'm gonna leave you now and go for for my walk and i'll mm -hmm. be back and then he did his walk. he came back and he watched a little bit more then he said hey um i'll be back around nine would you be here? I said, yeah. So what I didn't know was that that was Serena's uncle that I was speaking. Really? With. 
So yes, so he uh, went back and spoke to Mr. Williams. This is before fitness was in tennis. There was no fitness, mm -hmm. there was no high performance coaching. So he told Mr. Williams about me. And then from far away later on out, which I didn't know Mr. Williams was why Serena, because Serena was injured at the time. She was recovering from a knee surgery, coming back. Mm -hmm. And um, she came there for Bank of the West at Stanford yeah. to watch her sister play. And I, I saw and, her watch, uh, I saw her play at the Stanford uh, tournament, by the way. Yeah. Yes, 2004 at this time. Mm -hmm. And um, so during that time, um, Mr. Williams was watching from far away. I didn't know that. And then after she finished doing some laps, Mr. Williams asked her to come, ask me if she could join into the group. I, at that point now, the boxer had gone home and I was doing speed clinic with a few NFL players. Mm -hmm. And then I and she asked me, I said, Oh yeah, please join in. So she joined in, and that's basically how everything started. And um later on, Mr. Williams asked me, would it be possible to work with my daughter by herself instead mm -hmm. of with everybody? So I did that. And then he told me, say Abdul. I said, Yes, sir. He said, Um, I can get my daughters to hit a penny anywhere in that court. Mm -hmm. and say I can do that but answer me a question if they cannot get to the ball how are they going to hit the penny so your mm -hmm. job is to find a way to get them to be able to be in position to hit that penny every time yeah so that's how everything started Interesting. so he took a chance at me and he knew nothing about me and that was just like I'm just learning at that point how to actually teach someone else to perform at the highest uh, at the highest level it's it almost like you feel like it was random and he liked what he yes. saw yes that's amazing um and I, i mean obviously you know when you had the success with serena and how many years did you work with serena um 10 years off and on wow and 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 how do you end up i guess meeting uh, naomi osaka so my wife she's haitian right my kids yes. are half haitian so you know it's a big deal I guess for for Haiti, but you know that's pretty good. That's actually when you told me that the other day, I was really excited. Actually, I'm like, that's really cool. Yeah, and they've got like I think physical ability. Not for me. I think for my mom, for my wife. So, <laughs> but how did you? Yeah, how did you end up? I mean, obviously the success that you had with Serena, I'm sure that raised a lot of attention, right, in the tennis world. So. In the tennis world, they didn't really know. Because I kept it quiet. I kept everything oh, right. was kept very quiet. Nobody, because I always wanted to, if I'm going to take on a project, I want it to be on my own merit. Not mm -hmm. because, because first and foremost, we might not have chemistry. And I don't yeah. want you to trust me just because I work with someone else. Mm -hmm. What, Whatever worked between me and her, me and this person might not work between you and me. That's right? very true. Because before I take on any project, I need to know who I'm dealing with, like the human being, not the athlete, because, you know, you're a human being first. Yeah. Right? So I need to understand that. And you have to have that humility for me to actually think about the project. And so mm -hmm. as far as so I work with Sloan first and this was 27, 2016 to 2017, we won the U.S. Open and then mm -hmm. I started yeah. working with. Aaron Hicks of the Yankees at the time and baseball player. And um, I had just started with him because uh, Sloan won 
and we went our separate ways right after that. Mm-hmm. And then Aaron called me to see if I could work with him in the off season. I said, that was um, end of October. I said, oh, definitely. Yeah. So as the process was going on, they called me about this young lady. Nobody knew who she was. She was, mm-hmm. I think, like 90 in the world or something like that. And they sent me a picture of her. And I looked at it. I said, I really want to retire. My my goal was to retire with Serena because we started together. I wanted to actually end my career with her. Mm-hmm. And then Aaron looked, Aaron looked at me and said, Abdul, I said, yeah. He said, I thought you said you like starting with people from the bottom and you like to help get That's them cool. back, get them to the top, the ones that are struggling. I said, yeah. I said, you're doing the same thing with me now. We just started. Why don't you? You already did what you did with Serena. Why don't you do that with this young lady? At mm-hmm. the time, she was like, I think, 18, 19. And he said, I think, he said that would be a better situation because then the both of us can grow together mm-hmm. under the same. I said, okay. I said, let me think about it. And then he made more points about it. I said, okay. So I called and said, yeah, I'll take on the project. And um, so I watched film on her. I studied her because I didn't know who she was. Yeah. Now, knowing that, few years before that, 2016, 2015, I actually went and watched her at Bank of the West when I was working with Serena. Mm-hmm. And um, because I saw this young black lady with her parents, the dad, uh, with her dad and her sisters. Yeah. And I watched them and I introduced myself to the dad. I'm like, if there's anything, I work with Serena. If there's anything I can do for you guys, please let me know. This mm-hmm. is who I am. And that was 2015. Yeah. Right? And fast forward now, when I met when I um, met her, I told her the story. I said, and I, I said, I watched you guys. You don't remember me, huh? She said, no. Nah. I said, <laughs> ask, ask your dad. So your dad. Yeah. So that's how that went. Because of Aaron, I was able to take on that project and see if I can repeat the same process again that, um, you know, that worked with Serena, that worked with Sloan, and now to see if I can repeat that. Yeah, I mean, it's, and I remember, I think when Naomi was very young, she beat Serena, right? Was yes. Was it like an exhibition game? And I was like, who is that? You know, yes. we were just blown away. But she was never like cocky or arrogant, like very low key. That was yes. just amazing about her, right? Yes. And that's, and that's exactly who she is as a person. And that's what made her so, for me, that's what made her very, interesting to work with because there's so much there that you can work with right and yeah. um and people have had already started labeling her a bust because they're like you know if the ball is within her strike range she's gonna kill it but you move the ball out of her strike range she cannot get to the ball she cannot move she is um, not fit so and then basically from what they were saying so all these things i had to study that she quits on on matches and she quit on herself mm-hmm. and stuff so I had to take, I had to look at it and see how we could change that. Yeah. Was it difficult? I mean. No, it wasn't actually difficult because if you work with some, it's about, for me, when you are genuine with any, this is why I said I, it's, easy for, it's easy for me to work with any athlete. It start with love. Yeah. Yeah. You show any human being love, no matter what they're doing, whether they're in, in the corporate world or whether they're athletes, they are going to produce because you give them something that, you know, as a human being that everyone needs. So it gives mm-hmm. them confidence. It gives it, it, it makes them believe that there's someone here that's supporting them, that cares for them. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, they need to be in a, a, group, a good group of people, right? Yes. Circle of families, right? They're more comfortable and they can yes. produce the best, right? Yes. Uh, now, um, you mentioned earlier, right? You know, and I read, uh, I watched one of your interviews when you said, I take more pride, right, in taking an athlete from a lower level all the way up to the top. And I think yes. some other co you know, coaches might say, well, I don't want to do that. I want to yes. take an athlete already almost at the top. Uh, but, you know, what's, I guess, uh, uh, why do you take more pride in taking an athlete from where they are all the way to the top? <laughs> so I've watched all across the board. I mean, I've started in this industry when it was actually, there's nobody there in, yeah. in the fitness yeah. industry. It was just at the beginning stages, right? So uh, on all, in all sports, yeah, right? Yeah. So when I'm looking at it, the thrill for me, it was about, I knew how to get myself to the top. I know how to push myself to the edge of dying. And regardless of what's happening, I ignore it and I keep going forward. Mm -hmm. My question was always, would I be able to do that for another human being, whether they're in corporate world or whether they're in sports? What is it? Would I be able to do that? And I had to work at that to say, how am I going to tap into that part of their brain mm -hmm. to be able to make this happen for them? And looking at it, I've always looked at things around me mm -hmm. to have a better understanding. Like I look at places like, let me say, Google, um, Facebook, like mm -hmm. the open floor yeah. system that they came up with to where there's no offices, there's no doors to knock on the boss's door to come in here. So I looked at this, I'm like, okay, this is working because they're making everybody equal. Mm -hmm. So you don't, you, you look at it, you don't see someone as an authority over you. So you have easy communication, mm -hmm. right? Then I looked in the classroom is the same process It's like, I have a teacher that I can talk to and I can take from. And then I look in the industry, I look at these coaches also that likes to, you know, anybody can work with anyone that's the best at the best, right? Because mm -hmm. it becomes selfishness. Now you're not yeah. doing it for the athlete, you're doing it for yourself because you're trying to patent your resume. Yeah. And you're trying to put, so you're trying to be the light instead of being in the shadows. You're trying to be in the front. Mm -hmm. right instead of the athlete being the focal point so i do not care about my resume whether i have a setback with an athlete or we mm -hmm. succeed it matter it doesn't matter to me right as long as i keep working with them and trying to figure out how to get them to achieve their highest potential so that's why i love is the challenge of seeing and getting someone from the bottom to the top and not only that but helping another human being achieve what they don't think was possible yeah. And seeing that joy and that smile on their face, especially when mine was taken away from me, mm -hmm. right? Because that was taken away from me. So when I see that, it just bring it tells me that I'm there with them and it brings me more joy. So that's very that's true. Why. That's great. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. Um, now, you also said, uh, you know, in another interview, right? I think it was very interesting that it's important for athletes to be humble so they yes. can be teachable because some athletes, you know, because of their ego, and say, look, I don't need to learn about this. But so, um, but you also want them to have a bit of arrogance, right? They want to be humble, but yes. you also want to have arrogance because it's almost like a, a shock world out there, right? Everybody's out there yes. to beat you. So 
Could you elaborate uh, a bit more about what you meant by that? Yes. So humility bring humility. Think about it. If I come to you and say, Julian, I'm not tech savvy. Please help me with this. Mm -hmm. I just humble mm -hmm. myself to tell you that what I'm not good at. Yeah. Most people don't like doing that. Everybody wants to pretend they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So if I, I don't know any more than the athletes, right? So it's a give and take. Now, but if you if you're humble, if you humble yourself and say, you know what, I want to get to the top. How do I do this? Mm -hmm. I need someone to guide me, right? Then you are able to teachable, and every successful or supreme athlete humble themselves in order for them to be great. Like for instance, I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. Serena, to this day, we talked to, um, you know, I gave her, like, when we first started, I gave her one instruction. I said, no headphones ever when we're training. No headphones? Period. No headphones, period. Because when you're playing, there's no, you don't, need, you don't need motivation. There's no music in your ears to motivate you. Yeah, that's right. So when I first started, these were, like, I have very strict rules mm -hmm. because that's mm -hmm. how I was training, right? And... Fast forward, like 10 years later, mm -hmm. she won Bank of the West and we're cooling down. And which shocked me because she's like, hey, Abdul, could I please wear the headphones? Even just one side. Yeah. I won. Could, I, could that be my reward? Yeah. And that's humility. She never forgot what we yeah. talked about. And she always used that. And that was at the beginning of our relationship when we first met that made that mm -hmm. rule, right? And that's where she is where she's at because she doesn't think she she's big or she knows all. I almost feel like she's like that because of the way she got raised by her father. Exactly. Right? Yes. So because, you know, you might take some very talented girls, but because they were came from a wealthy family or whatever, right? But yes. I think it's, it's and if you, even when you watch a movie, right? You, you get yes. a sense of that too. Oh, yes. Right. And that's how he actually, I mean, he raised them because that's what he, I mean, he told me this himself. Abdul, when you're on here, my daughters are always going to listen to you. Mm -hmm. No matter what you say, they, you give them instruction, they'll listen, they'll never argue. That's, to me, that's what, it starts at the beginning when you are, when you are, when you are um, a kid and your parents are raising you to be able to be a learner. A, a teachable person instead of yeah. you telling the person, you telling the coaches what you should be doing mm -hmm. or how it should be going. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, so, hey, my next question is, you know, obviously you're, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but you're a strength coach, right? Yes. So, or, you know, so. And, yeah, okay. And I've got a bunch of friends in the NBA, they're strength coaches and everybody's different. Everybody has their own philosophy uh sometimes they are very meticulous you know particular about the way they do things Some, like one of my friends right uh he worked in the nba for probably 15 years he likes the, the you know the weight and all the stuff to be in certain place in the room he doesn't yes. like this to, to be messy this yes. is the way he is so what is your philosophy when it comes to strength and conditioning i'm very flexible when it comes to that like for instance i'll have these workouts for for us to do today 
And yeah. I come in here and I see how you're feeling. I see how your body's feeling. I see where you are mentally. Then I'll, then I'll automatically switch things around. Yeah. Because I'm there. It is not going to help me any or it's not going to help me to yell at you to do this, to do this when you are not there today. When That's something right. is definitely off. Mm -hmm. I want to find out first and foremost what is off, right? Because I want to talk, I want to reach the human being mm -hmm. and try and get you mentally to be where you should be at and so for me that's my philosophy the flexibility and because i also work with the mind mm -hmm. i can get i'm not the i'm not the greatest at making someone jump higher faster mm -hmm. and stronger and all that the question lies here i can get you to be as strong as you want but there's always someone stronger than you Okay. That's There's true. always a wall higher than the wall that you just train at. Yeah. What is going to happen when you reach that, when you meet that adversity and that yep. hurdle? How are you going to overcome that? To me, you have to break people down mentally in a, in a positive way mm -hmm. and rebuild them from inside out. If I can get you mentally to be strong and believe in yourself and have that confidence, oh, yeah. no matter what happened, if I say, hey, Julian, touch that sky. The only thing on your mind is I got to find a way to touch that sky. I know it's possible to touch that sky. There's no way that I cannot touch that sky, right? Mm -hmm. You have no doubt in your mind. You have no impossibilities in your mind because mentally I've, I've developed you to be able to see that. Well, it's interesting because I, like I said, I know a bunch of strength and conditioning coaches and I feel like the mental preparation is not something that they really focus on most mm -hmm. of the time. Maybe they have no. like four psychologists who's doing this. It looks like you kind of incorporated that into your, your I guess, your training. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes, because, I mean, I went to school to be a psychologist. So that's what that's I That's right. Yes. Kevin told me that. Yes. And so because of that, I use those tools because when I told my, I wanted to, I wanted to be a juvenile counselor after I retired from football. Yeah. And, and, and become like a probation officer, but do things differently. So God directed me in, on this path, which landed this in, onto my lap. So that's why I call myself a high-performance coach, because I'm not just working with just the physical aspect of things, just the mental, the spiritual, yeah. right? And, 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 and the emotional part of everything, that all those components together as one mm -hmm. make you whole. Yeah, and so I guess we'll drink my next question, right? So how important is mental preparation for an athlete like if you look at tennis right it's huge if yes. the guy is top physically uh you know top shape but mentally it's not there it's going to break down you know so how important is mental preparation let's just take tennis for example right yes how important is it to me people say 90 percent. i believe is 95 to 98 percent of the work yeah no 90 percent is more than that right and uh you give me someone that is great at playing tennis mm -hmm. and give me someone that's average, but I develop it mentally. I promise you the person that I develop mentally is going to destroy the person that is just physically talented. Yeah. Well, that right? reminds me of, I, I tell you a story. There's a French player. I think you come across Fabrice Santoro, right? Tiny yes. guy, not, the, not the, the, the strongest guy, but man, he could just break down those guys. And find a way to be like a Roger Federer or any of those top guys on because he was just I don't know what he was doing to their head but 
you could just find a way. Yes. Uh, and that's what, to me, that's what the, 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 and that's what Novak, that's how Novak beat people. Novak doesn't get rattled. When Novak gets rattled, it means someone else is playing the mental game. Yeah. Right. Most of the time, like you see him and you could see what's happening in his head. Everybody else going through chaos, but him, everything slowed down in his mind. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you could see the calmness and he's just waiting for you. No matter how difficult you're making things for him physically. Yeah. He's waiting. He's patiently waiting for you to break down because he know mentally you are going to break down yeah. and he's going to be exactly where he wants to be at. So that's the difference between where he's at and what he's doing to me versus everybody else is his mental capacity, his mental development, right? And he has taken it to a whole new level. And people like the other thing, like I see a lot, everybody has a, a, a sports psychologist that's right. per se, right? And like I tell people, it is the wrong thing to do because once you hire someone and say, I need a sports psychologist, it means you already accepted that there's something wrong with you. That's right. Yeah, no, and, now you're, and you're trying to fix something, a problem that is not there. So now you created a problem already. So mentally, you already created a block. Mm -hmm. Right. And like what I do, like I tell people, like they sit in a room and the person sits there the environment first and the setting first and foremost is the wrong setting because you're not going to be playing sports in a freaking room. Yeah. Right. And they control the environment. What I do during the session, during mm -hmm. our training session is when I start talking to people, I start breaking them down. I start trying to see what they see, what is happening. Like I give them some difficult situations and see if they're going to overcome it. If they don't overcome it, we talk about why. And what so do, you try, do you try to simulate different situations and see how they react? Yes. And then from there, we talk about it during that process, but they don't know that I'm actually helping them in the process psychologically. Right? Okay. I'm counseling them. But yeah, by the way, so, yeah, go ahead. It's part of that whole package at that moment in time. Mm -hmm. I, I was going to say, I was talking to uh, an NFL team uh, recently, and I said, well, you know, how many NFL team have a sports psychologist? And they said, well, the majority have a sports psychologist. You know, back in the day, they didn't have any. But to yes. your point, you know, it's kind of become accepted, almost yes. mandatory in the NFL. But yes. it's almost like they're doing this because they, it's like, you know, admitting there's a problem, but there may not be a problem, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, and, 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 and I'm not saying there's something wrong with it. I'm not saying this. It's just that I feel we are going down a path that is taken away from the athlete themselves, mm -hmm. right? And if you are if you are on the battlefield and you have someone that have that, let me say, is working with you, mm -hmm. and they have the capacity of and the ability to put you in different situations and see how you react without yeah. you really actually realizing it. And then during that process, trying to guide you mentally, trying to counsel you mentally without you actually realizing what's going on. Mm -hmm. And it gives you that confidence because at some point you overcome that and you go through it and you go through this battle because when that battle um, in the future arises, you know, automatically something clicks and you mm -hmm. just keep going. You walk through that wall. Because yep. you know there's no wall there, it's just an illusion. Yeah, that's right. Uh, which you know, I, you know, bring my next question, which is I, I was watching one of your interviews and you said 
you could take an athlete, right? An yes. athlete and make it a champion on a tennis court, which sounds crazy when you hear that, but what did you mean by that? You could take maybe an NFL player and then teach him some basics about tennis, but because he's so sharp physically and mentally, he could break down some other opponents. I mean, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that, I would take any athlete on any field, right? Yeah. Like, let me say, you give me the worst tennis player. Yeah. That people say is worst tennis player on the pro, on the pro circuit. Yeah. Give me time with them. I promise you that person that you think is the worst tennis player is, is going to become something that nobody people are going to fear on the tennis court. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing in boxing. It's the same thing in that in boxing. I, 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 in boxing is where I started that at, right? So when you look at it, you start realizing that all human beings that all human beings have one thing in common, especially competitive human beings, is the mind. Mm-hmm. If you can get to the mind, you got the human being, and you have to. It's about building confidence in this human being. And showing that no matter what happens, you still love them. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter what happens. You're still going to be there for them. You're never going to abandon them. Because most of them, something has happened to them. They've been abandoned or they've been told something about them that wasn't good. So they're holding on to this. Yeah. Right? As long as they know they have a backboard behind them, a solid backboard, and they build this confidence, they're going to go out there. And when they look up in the stands and they see you, they are willing to die on that on that battlefield for what you guys have been putting in. That's yeah. all it is. And no one coach know anything. I always tell people, I'm not going to teach all these coaches think like they're the greatest coaches, right? And I always say one thing, you're not. You are not great because if you have a coach, I call, I call, I mean, the people call themselves coaches. So if you have a coach that's a dictator, yeah, how long do you think that dictatorship is going to last? Uh, I mean, it's, it, you know, you're not going to listen to him. You're going to be terrorized. Exactly. And over time, what would happen, these um, players are going to stop playing, and then you're going to get fired. Yeah. You might win the first year, the second year, but eventually folks are going to start getting tired of you, right? But if you come in there as a teacher, you give, I don't know much, you give and take, we communicate. Yeah. And you help me learn about you and you help me learn what works for you, what doesn't work for you. And we listen, I listen to you. That's why teachers are so good at helping kids achieve their highest potential. Why? Why is it that, that you can teach your son the same thing that a teacher have taught, uh, teaching them at school, but then they give you heartache about it. But mm-hmm. then the, the teacher says something, they listen to the teacher. Why? Because the teacher is teaching. You're yep. trying to dictate and you look, you're an authority figure. So, and we are built as human beings to rebel. Well, I mean, I think that goes back to the, the psychology, right? To learn yes. how the human brain works in the psychology. And I just feel like in school or even in the world of professional sport, that's not always taught to coaches. And, you know, because it's not part of, I don't know if it's not part of the curriculum, but it's not something that they necessarily teach, right? Yes, absolutely. So, uh, but in your case, because you got a unique background, that was your background, yes. and then you become, you know, who you are, you, you get that. So, um, so hey, uh, you know, my next question is, you know, we work with lots of technology companies, like this is the Oura Ring, lots of NBA NFL players have been using it to uh, 
try to sleep. I mean, we we've we profile about 200 vendors and companies, you know, throughout the world. You know, whether it's company to measure your hydration level, your lactate level, your cortisol, or uh, you know, to measure your fatigue level, right? There's yes. so many companies out there uh, that people use, right? That that yes. companies are built. So, how important are technologies in in what you do? To me, it is becoming very important because yeah. it is it is to me that's the direction that everything is going now, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's getting easier and easier to actually figure things out. Yeah. Right. The only thing I'm always fe in fear of is the athletes becoming robotic and mm -hmm. dependent on too much information. Yeah. And coaches being lazy and now not actually doing their work. They mm -hmm. just depend on this information. They just go. And I've seen a lot of coaches like that. They don't really do their homework like they used to. They don't spend time actually trying to understand or figure out the, the players anymore. Mm -hmm. It's whatever this technology says is what they go with. Well, and sometimes the information can give you the wrong information. Exactly. Right. Or too exactly. much information, you just overwhelm. You don't know what to do. Yes, information overload. And I love I love the information if you can use it, if you can still keep on working the way you work, use the information, um, try and limit how much of it you use or how much of it you give to the to the to the athlete themselves. Yeah, and that reminds me of, uh, so I don't like to follow rugby, uh, but I work with national team in, in rugby, right? And one of the, the person I used to work with, um, Eddie Jones, was the head coach of the England national rugby. Great guy, very sharp. And one time when I did a podcast with him, he said, you know, I asked him about technology. He said, I'm looking for that, that technology that can give me that 1% to 2% advantage. Right, it does. I'm yeah. not about 10 20 percent, but that one small, you know, percentage yes. that can help me win, right? Yes, so and I feel like you know that's what makes a difference whether you, you know losing or winning, yes, exactly. Right? And, and I'm with that, I'm actually with that because that's not information overload, right? That's not just depending on something, it's just the one percent that's all I need, not too much, mm -hmm. but just one percent, right. Because now, like, uh, we have, they want to study the heart rate, the, the monitor the heart rate and yeah. out of these things. And I'm like, imagine if we are training the athletes. Like, if you take these information, for me, it's not for us to actually give to the, to the athletes or mm -hmm. even for the coaches. It's yeah. not. It's just, it's good for that to study the body or to study physiologically to see what's happening mm -hmm. for whoever's in the background, right? Yeah. Because... If we start using too much of that, now imagine what how some players, like we're saying, some people mentally are not as strong, mm -hmm. right? And they start having this awareness. Okay, I'm too fatigued, so I should not train this hard. My yeah. heart rate is up here, so I think we need to scale it down. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. what if you get on the battlefield and then some obstacle arises that yeah. is going to cause this to happen so how's your body going to react you're going to what mentally you're going to break down yeah once phys once um physically you start breaking down your mental is the first thing that goes and then yeah. all of a sudden you see someone score a goal or someone score yeah. a touchdown or someone miss a free throw whatever it is something will happen right yeah so this is what for me i think we have to be very aware of yeah 
and, and we talked about, for example, uh, you work with Serena, with Naomi, uh, um, Sloan. So, you know, we work with lots of athletes, right? What are the best athletes that you work with and why, in your opinion? My opinion is the ones that nobody has have heard of before. Yeah. Like I said, the boxer, um, Jose Perez, Ellie, Ellie Arkowitz, the U.S. Olympic skater. Yeah. And people like J.J. Stokes that play for the Niners. Mm -hmm. And then Serena, because Serena was at the genesis of my career. The reason I say these names yeah. is because they're the one that got me started. They're the one that they were they were in the lab with me while mm -hmm. I was perfecting. I was trying, testing things on them. They trusted me at the beginning when I was a nobody. Yeah. Right. And they were able to humble themselves and learn and listen and achieve what they achieve their highest potential. Mm -hmm. And I was learning along with them. Right. So to me, these are the, the best ones that I've worked with because of that reason. And of course, now I have so uh, wealth of knowledge and I understand what I'm doing. Would any of these other athletes would have trusted me back then to do the same thing for them? That's the question I have. So that's probably why. not because I think they were more like teachable, right? Like Serena. Yes. And, and that's yes. what makes it. And I almost feel like people have the wrong perception, for example, of Serena. I feel yes. like they believe she's mm -hmm. arrogant, she's this and that. But then when you're looking at, for example, the movie, right? They realize yes. that's the opposite. That's the opposite. You know what I mean? And, and that's the thing about it. To me, she has, I always say there's good stubbornness, there's yeah. good arrogance, and there's bad stubbornness and bad arrogance, right? And this is the, she has good arrogance. Is arrogant enough to know to say that you are I'm better than you when we get on the on, on the court. I'm better than you. Yeah. But off the court, I don't need to I don't need to do anything. I just need to be who I am. I might mm -hmm. I'll carry myself as a champion yeah. and have that aura about me, right? But I'm still gonna talk to the to everybody else. I'm still gonna be who I am, be a human being to people. Well, that's because that's how she got raised. That's how she was raised, and that's how Naomi also is. Right? Yeah, that's and I've been blessed to be around a lot of these athletes that have been like this. God blessed me to be with, around people. Yeah, all these folks I've worked with have been the same. Like they've never had any. For instance, like Ellie Akowitz, um, U.S. Olympic speed skater, four-time Olympic speed skater. Yeah. Her dad was the Olympic champion. Her mom was like twenty-three time uh, medalist in the mm -hmm. Olympics. But they asked me to develop their kid, and yep. she had already been to two Olympics before me, mm -hmm. right? And for for me, I was humble. And this was like, she was the first one that trusted me that was professional. Yeah. Right? So I was humble for them, and he was working with Lance Armstrong at the time. So that was Lance Armstrong's coach. So yep. I'm like, you are in world class. How are you going to ask me to do this? Mm -hmm. So looking at that, it told me how humble she was. And she always, even when the U.S. Um, the U.S. Uh, 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 um, team was given a hard time not to work with me, she still came every year, every time, off season, um, left Utah and left the training, uh, the, the, the training camp to come train with me. Mm. Right? But I almost feel like... <laughs> You work with those exceptional individuals that were very talented and yet humble, you know, uh, teachable. Yes. Um, you know, I feel like you picked them too because they had that personality. Yes. 
right? Exactly. Yes. And the personality mesh because once I met with them and I started talking to them, you could see it right away that like who they are and how they are and how, and this is someone that I would like to help achieve their goal because they're going to treat, even if they achieve the, 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 they get to the top of the mountain, they're going to treat everybody as equal. Yeah. I think that's a way, a way more respectful to see people do that than someone who's, yeah, it's at the top, but he doesn't, you know, respect people at the lower level. Right. So, um, oh yeah. You know, but I think it goes back to how they got raised. Right. Um, yes. Yes. So, Background. Parenting is, is is where to me is where it's at. That's that's the it's how you raise your children. Like now, I watch the tennis um, players. Yeah, and I see how they behave on court. I see how they yell at their coaches. I see it's basically telling me that's what they've been doing since juniors. Yeah, right. And and, and this is the problem. And then when they don't win, it's everybody's fault. Mm-hmm. When they win, they only take the winning by themselves. Yeah. Right. They say, I did it. It's not the team. And so they try to have it both ways. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's not good. Right. No. So, hey, uh, you know, we like I said, we work. Last question. right? We work with lots of technology companies, lots of founders, engineers, lots of talented mm-hmm. people when it comes to tech. And you seem to have lots of ideas. Right. We create. Yes. Uh, so if you had unlimited resources, I'm talking about engineering, money, what types of technology in a perfect world would you build and why? I would love to, um, what I would love to develop actually, it's having a virtual, what I mean by a virtual coach, like, um, yeah. because what's missing is a human, the human element of things. Like, let me say, because I would like to give everybody in the world the same thing not just mm-hmm. athletes, right? Like for instance, imagine if I'm trained, if the athlete is training yeah, and I'm not able to be there, yeah. but then you push this button on your phone and this, um, I want to say this AI comes up as if that in a human form next mm-hmm. to you, correcting you as if whatever coach's face there is. Yeah. And then talking to you as if he's right next to you, not on the screen though, but just like, moving and telling you and talking to you, giving you instruction. In a perfect world, that's what I would like. Almost like an autogram. Yeah, like exactly. Uh, and by the way, you're in the perfect place because you're in the Silicon Valley. So a lot of small people down there. So, uh, but I keep that in mind because, you know, a lot of people listen to that show actually, whether it's founders, VCs, teams. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's an interesting idea for sure. Because um, imagine if like, even in, uh, in the world that we live in now, like everybody's into fitness yeah. and everybody's doing this screen stuff and people are to imagine if someone is, is not the same as if someone is next to you and you yeah. don't, let me say like agility or box jumps and they say, Oh no, correct this step, correct that step. And like almost you can give them high five. Right. And mm-hmm. you feel, you feel their presence is yeah. much different than someone that you've never, that you don't see on the screen and that pre-recorded or there's some in a studio somewhere, right? Yeah, I think it's a great idea. It almost remind me of the movie uh, Star Wars, right? Yes. You've got hologram showing up next to you and- Yes, you know. exactly that, exactly that. Uh, that's great. <laughs> so, hey, look, uh, Abdul, we're at the end of the podcast, but I want to thank you for your time today. Thank you very thank much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. 
To access past episodes and other research, articles, and analysis of sports technology, please visit our website, theupside.us. Subscribe to the Upside newsletter and receive full access to our sports tech business letter and website. Royalty-free music is provided by ibaudio.com. The Upside podcast provides timely insights and interviews with global leaders in sports technology. Until next time, keep looking to the Upside.